Thanks, Matt. <clears throat> so, for those of you who don't know me, I am Derek. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I'm redeemed through the blood of Jesus. And it's so different to introduce yourself like that. Because normally people ask you, well, so who are you? What do you do? We're not defined by what we do or what we've achieved or what we've accomplished. And before I start, I must just, while we were worshipping, and I was thinking about what I'm going to say, obviously, and not only what I'm going to say, but I was worshipping. Um, and Joe Biden came to mind. That could only have been God. Joe Biden came to mind, and I think we've all seen Joe Biden. And if he goes off script, there's a problem. Okay, so I'm, you'll have to forgive me. I have committed myself this morning to stick to my script. I'm already off it. Um, I'm going to read. I'm going to read quite a bit. But if I don't, Matt is going to be ringing the dinner bell at 12 p.m. Um, so, yeah. Let's get into it. I'm married to Michelle, as many of you know. You'll hear her later. I have three fantastic children. It was such a privilege to... Next page. <clears throat> Stick to your script, Anderson. Okay. I'm not going to talk about my family. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, Glenn was talking about the greyheads. You might have missed it if you're not a greyhead, but those of us who are greyheads, we picked it up. Um, and he spoke about the appreciation that the elders have for the greyheads in our community and the contribution that they have to bring. So if you guys are the guinea pigs, this is the first greyhead standing up here. And I'm going to share with you a bit, maybe from my experiences, my wisdom, but most of all from what God has said to us. As we know, Glenn, he knows, well, he knows us pretty well. I got a voice note beginning of the week, and when it starts off with, hello, you wonderful people, you know something's coming. That was Tuesday. I'm here today. Um, so I'm a last-minute guy. I don't do things long in advance, so he also knew that. So you didn't have any problem with asking me to do it. And, but it's really a privilege to share this morning. Over the recent weeks, Glenn has spoken and Matt has spoken over various books. Um, what struck me the other week when Glenn was talking about, um, I think it was Corinthians, he said there's only two books in the Bible, or two books in the New Testament that were not written to a particular place because they were experiencing a particular problem. I can't remember the exact wording he used, um, but Corinthians, I think it was, and Ephesians was the other one, that it was written to them because there was a general, general issue that they were addressing. It wasn't a specific issue of whatever they, that particular community was experiencing. So I've chosen a passage out of Ephesians for us to look at this morning. And Ephesians has always been my favorite book. Um, from a very early, early days as a Christian, I remember the Lord speaking to me so vividly through that book, especially that verse that says, do not get drunk on wine. That was like a, a loud gong. Um, made a big change in my life. But anyway, um, 
Ephesians has always, always been the, to me, and to many others, it's known as the queen of the epistles. And our, my understanding of the queen of the epistles was, it's this you know, beautiful book, it's, this, it's, the, it's the best, it's, the, it's like the jewel, you know, of the whatever. Um, and that was my understanding of it. And as I, actually only this morning, I um, googled it. So what is the, well, I'm a cyclist, as most of you don't know, um, um, and what is the Queen stage? Yesterday was the Queen stage on the Tour de France. So what's the relation between the Queen stage and the Queen of the Epistles? Not much, but the Queen stage, <clears throat> as I found out, said, it's designed to be the hardest, most demanding stage of the race, the stage that will have the biggest effect on the overall result. It changed my view of Ephesians. The hardest, most demanding stage of the race. The stage would have the biggest effect on the overall result. Matthew, I'm sorry, I didn't start my time, and that's one of my biggest problems. So, the letter to the Ephesians was written in the last decade of the, of the first century. Um, and it wasn't written actually, well, many believe, it wasn't written only to the Ephesians. It was written as a circular letter to the churches of Asia Minor. And it was kind of like a, not a blank check, but a blank letter where the churches could actually fill in their own name. And that's not my cleverness. That's what I researched. Um, that uh, in the letter, the word Ephesians is only mentioned once, and that's like in the first verse. That was kind of like, well, dear brethren of fill in the gap, fill in the church that you're from. And what's the significance of that? Well, because everyone in that area was having the same sort of problems, and the Ephesians were, were just one of them. Um, so the problems that they were being plagued with in that area of Asia, Asia Minor, and I've, I was quite excited by reading through this because I thought, you know, this could have been a, these facts that I'm going to deal with you, share with you now, we're, we're actually, they're applicable today. They're applicable to our society, applicable to our lives, and hopefully you're going to draw those, those sort of parallels as well. But one of, there were three basic areas where the, these churches were having problems. And firstly, it was dealing with the power and the growth of the heathen religions. Okay, we don't really have that much of an issue, especially when you look further into what was happening in Ephesus in particular, they had the temple of Diana. And the churches were attracting people of, from other things, getting them to come to their church by promising them all sorts of things. I won't go into detail, but there was a prostitution scam going on in the, the temple of Diana. The internal, secondly, the internal bickering between the Jewish believers and the Gentiles. The Jews thought they had it, they had a privilege that they were above the, the the Gentiles, that they had a heritage that others didn't have, so they thought they were, they were the, the, the hot shots. And then thirdly, the church was struggling with the allure of the worldliness. The guy, at the time, the guys, their vocation and their, and their financial well-being was wrapped up in their status, wrapped up in their, how they were perceived by society around them. And that was all important. I think we Look, think back to video, um, TV games and TV series that you've seen of this sort of era. 
It was all about status and the white robes and the things around their head and things like that. They were all very much aware of, of the role that they played in society and they didn't want to tarnish that, that at all. And really it doesn't seem like much has changed when we think about how people relate to and how we are so concerned about society and what society thinks of us. Paul writes to the Ephesians and is aware that these guys have three options in how they can respond to what's going on around them. And the first one, and this applies to all of us, they could try fit in. So yes, they've got these, they've got this, these things happening in society. They can try and fit in and be um, not noticed, blend in. But that would mean compromising their beliefs, compromising their values, and bring them into conflict with what the Holy Spirit was convicting them of in their hearts. And besides that, the teachings that Paul and others had actually left with them, this wouldn't go down well. Okay, so they, were, they had the choice of, of trying to fit in and compromise. Secondly, they could withdraw. They could say, this is not for us. We're going to withdraw to a monastic type of life. Um, we don't want to make a stand. We don't want to cause a fuss. We're just going to withdraw and not actually engage with anything that will actually set us apart. We'll do our own thing, but we'll do it together in a holy huddle. Um, and I was reminded of this when I, one stage in my career, I wanted to withdraw from my job and actually open a Christian bookshop. And I thought, what a wonderful experience. I'll just be surrounded by all these Christian things and Christian people. I won't have to deal with the hassles of the world. It didn't work out. Um, and thirdly, they could maintain their commitment to the cause of Christ at all cost, run the risk of humiliation, loss of earnings, loss of power, physical persecution, but to do this, they would have to be even more dependent on, on Jesus. And this, this latter option that Paul is calling them to in his letter in the Ephesians. So he goes, I'm not going to go, sorry, unlike Glenn, we're not going to read the whole chapter, the whole book of Ephesians, only half. The first three chapters deals with Paul re-energizing the, the, the community, affirming who they are in Christ, what Christ has done for them, what their potential is through the power of the Spirit, encouraging them to, to continue to seek the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the light of the Spirit, walk in the light of, of Jesus' teachings. And in the last three chapters, he goes on to give them the, knowing that there's not going to be an easy walk if they're going to make a stand, because he's calling them to a lifestyle change, to stand up against the, what is it, the, the mainstream, what, what, to stand against the flow, to swim against the flow, the current, um, knowing it's not going to be easy, he gives them the ingredients of how to go about this and how they're going, they can, what principles and values they should adopt in their dealings with society. And he starts off, uh, I'm getting off script here, Joe. Um, okay. That's, th an overview of Ephesians. We're going to pick up from, from chapter 5. I went very low tech. Obviously, I had so much time to prepare. I didn't have any media to prepare, so otherwise we would have had it on the screen, but you're not going to get it. If you have been fortunate enough to memorize Ephesians, Anton, you're raising your hand. Thank you. Um, 
So, but before we do that, let's just pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we invite you to to breathe life into us as we read these verses, Lord. We invite you to to convict us of things that you want to convict us of, Lord, that you would yeah, push buttons in us, that we would recognize areas and things that you want to to change in us, that you want to yeah, that you want to, to affirm, that you want to build up, that you want to build on. But we ask you to do a work in us as we read your word. Your word is truth, your word is life, your word is changing, it changes us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm reading from the NIV, and I'm reading from Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay. Um. <clears throat> the problem at the time that this letter was written to these to the church. Um, I've just put my watch off. Again. Um, a problem at the time was the whole area of family relations. And Paul was, was speaking into this. 
The Asians didn't have the, the heritage that the Jews had, Jews had in terms of how to bring up their families, and family was, was very important in the Jewish heritage. Um, at the time that this takes place, women and children were like slaves. They were property of the, of the husband. Husband became head of the home. His wife and his children were seen as property. They didn't have rights. They didn't have much to, that they could do. They had to do as the husband said. The man ran his family as a private kingdom. I love the Afrikaans word dom because this is, these were dom kings. Um, you can't run your family as a kingdom. So Paul speaks right into this. He introduces the term submit and submission. And I know that even today rises, raises hackles in many circles. Depends where you're talking. People, whoa. And all the things come out. Women's feminism, human rights, abuses, all the things come, get, come out of the closet um, and are put on the table. But if Paul had stopped at that verse, verses 22 to 24, and says, wives, submit to your husband, all those guys would have been going, Ray, that's it, preach it, brother. But he doesn't. He goes on for another eight verses and talks to the husbands. How to love your wife. And the onus is on them. I'm just going to read a, a, from a... a what do you call it? Notice in my Bible. Um, <laughs> the senior moment. As a husband, how should I behave towards my wife? Look to Christ, the divine bridegroom, in his relationship with the church. Love her. Sacrifice for her. Listen to her concern. Take care of her. Be sensitive to her needs and her hurts as you are to those of your own body. As a wife, how should I behave towards my husband? Look to the chosen bride in the church, in its relationship with Christ. Respect him, acknowledge his calling as head of the family, respond to him, be uniform. <laughs> it was wrong. Respond to his leadership, listen to him, praise him, be unified in purpose and will with him, be a true helper. I don't measure up to all those things. Not all the time. Sometimes you know, flashes of brilliance <laughs> or should be flashes of humility, I think it might be a better word. But we can't. Wives can't do it. Husbands can't do it. Men, women, you can't. We can't live up to these things in our own strength. And that's where we have to acknowledge that without, without the, the help of the Holy Spirit, we are doomed to a a life of trying to achieve and trying to perform and trying to be something that we can never be because we were not made to be perfect. We were made to be dependent on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The demands that these verses put on men, husbands in particular, and how they relate to their wife, is, it does away with all these arguments of male chauvinism. I mean, which male is going to subject himself to sacrificing even unto death and all these things? If I was a chauvinist, there's no that doesn't actually make sense. So, the next time someone argues you about the the thing about um, submission and submitting, tell them what the husband's expected to behave like, um, because it's not actually something that they probably know. But running through all these scriptures and running through even the other books, this whole question of the whole theme, common theme, as Christ loved the church, 
sacrificial, unconditional, and a new term which I've learned recently, non-expectational. And that was quite a hard one. What are our expectations? Do we love with, do we give to get? Do we behave nicely and expect to get something in return? Do we, even with our children, how do we relate to them? We try and coerce them into behaving better. So we're giving them all sorts of things. Oh, if I do this, they'll behave better. They'll respond better. So this non-expectation of love is a, is a big issue. And when we look at Jesus, there's no expectation. There's nothing more that we can do. There's no performance that we can do to earn more of his love. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to be like he is. Um, so in this letter, Paul is calling these people to a radical life change. And he recognizes the importance and the, and the centrality of the family unit. He knows that the divine design God has for families and knows what a powerhouse and a godly home is in the community. <clears throat> As for children, us dads, fathers, men, not just married men, but men in the community, we have our jobs cut out for us. Um, God holds parents' responsibilities for the up, upbringing of their children. Not grandparents, not schools, not the state, not youth groups, not their peers and friends. Although each of these groups may influence children, the final duty rests with the parent, and the particular, particularly with the father whom God has appointed head to lead and serve the family. Two things are necessary for the proper teaching of children, a right attitude and a right, a right foundation. An atmosphere reeking with destructive criticism, condemnation, unrealistic expectations, sarcasm, intimidation, will f and fear will provoke a child to wrath. In such an atmosphere, no sound teaching can take place. So to the dads and to the men, yeah, this is quite a... This is, this is the queen stage. This is the challenging path. This is the role this, that we've been called to do, that we've been called to fill, that we can't abdicate. Um, we can't leave it up to someone else. And most importantly, we can't leave it up to our wives to raise our children. Yes, there are different stages, and Michelle will speak to that. But we have a responsibility to bring up children in a godly manner. And how do we do this? I've not skipped a whole lot of my notes, but that is great. <clears throat> it's For those of you who are very familiar with the book of Ephesians, you will know that the passages that I just read in terms of the Paul speaks to the husbands and the wives, the children, the, the slaves, um, that's us employed people, um, and he knows what challenges we're going to have. And he knows that it's not a physical challenge. Because right after that, straight after that, that verse, verses, he writes his very famous, what is famous, Jews so often all over the place, the armor of God. Because if we don't have that, 
As another writer once said, brother, you are in deep weeds. You've got trouble on your hands. Um, right in the middle of the armor of God, it says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. When we face the challenges that we, ha- that we have in society today with the and I'm, I'm really, I'm so pleased that my children are, are adults and that they are dealing with life and dealing with the things that are happening in the schools and in society and the, all these wonderful and weird things that the human rights people are thinking are great flavor of the month, the day, the year. And you guys have got to deal with them. And how do you deal with them? How do you stand firm? You know, we've got... Right in the beginning, I spoke about we, the Ephesians had three options. They could compromise, so they can water down their values, or they can make a stand. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. The one option was compromise, abdicate responsibilities, and let other organizations dictate values. Let the school governing body decide what is good for our kids. Maybe it's not the school but that's got the right interest and the correct interest for your kid. Maybe you need to be aware of what they are saying. Secondly, do we withdraw to a holy huddle? Should we go and form a kibbutz out somewhere other side of Botrafir? Liberty family bot... (laughs) No, we can't do that. That's not... I must say, I I often think I can just get on a bicycle and go north and not stop. um, And just keep going because I can get away from all this stuff that's going on. Or thirdly, do we make a stand? Do we face the challenge head on? Do we draw on the Holy Spirit, remain committed to the cause of Christ, whatever the cost? And I don't think we as, as complacent Western people consider that cost. Matt was praying before, we, we, before the service. Thank you, Lord, that we don't suffer the persecution. Thank you that we have the freedom to come here on a Sunday morning and worship together. You know, count the cost. If we, society said, well, you guys are going to, you want to be Christians, you're going to lose your job. It's a tough call. How do we make that stand? And that led me on to the armor of God. <clears throat> so yeah, Paul knew that the people in Asia would be going to war if they took the option three, make a stand. Make a stand for Jesus, for his values, for his bride. By and large, the church, I don't think has done a great job in equipping parents. I know from us greyheads, we didn't get much, even half as much preparation as newlyweds get now, um, but it's still not enough. We're still not equipped. We, both, we all needed so much more in how to raise godly families. Um, and I saw a, a staggering statistic recently that you know, a very topical word is, is dysfunctional. I mean, when I grew up, I didn't know what dysfunctional. I thought it was if I had one leg, I was dysfunctional or something. But that was, but dysfunctional families is like, it's acceptable. It's gone. But for every one child that grows up in a functional family with a mother and a father, there are eleven out there that haven't, and that explains a lot. Um, a lot of those dysfunctional families are in our church. No, sorry, not our church. They're in the church. <laughs> they're in my family. Um, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Sorry. No, they're not. Um, but it's a huge problem. 
obviously, and um, and we need to do something about it. And we do have, we have been equipped, we have been given the tools. But I'm not going to read it now. But Psalm 78, when you get a chance, when you listen to this, and you make a note of Psalm 78 verses 1 to 8, God warns us. He says, "This is what, this is what I'm giving you. Tell your children." of the works of the Lord. We sang some of it this morning. Tell your children, remind them of the works that the God has done. Let their children tell to the children that are still to be born. Do not be a hard-headed generation that rejects God. And we're living in a, in a life in an st- age now where by and large people have rejected God um, and his old teachings and with the tools that he has provided us with. And I think that is... No. Some of you, most of you, hopefully soon all of you, will know that Michelle and I are involved in what is known as the the World Needs a Father movement, which is a happening across the world in different places. Um... And the, from that we have what is called the Dad's Talk and the, and the Mother Design courses, um, which is not, it's not just a parenting course. It's not just a marriage enrichment course. It's not just a how to get out of jail easily course. It is much more than that. But it's really the focus of this whole movement is the catchphrase is bringing heaven home. And um, we don't have heaven in our homes, most of us. And, and bringing heaven home is really living in a, a, not a problem-free environment, but living in a God-filled environment with godly um, principles, godly values. Um, and we're really excited about this. And why? Because we've seen the fruit. You know, the proof is in the pudding. Um, if you see people's lives change, you see people taking hold of some, grasping something, a simple truth, and actually implementing it and seeing the, re- the result, it's encouraging. And we've been so encouraged over the last two years to see this happen. So we are going to be telling you more about it. And in prepping the talk, what I've just given is just re-emphasize to me just how important this whole aspect of family values and family um, solid-based families is and God gives us wisely and intentionally a call. Uh, I'm sorry, just unwind that one. We need to use the tools that God gives us wisely, with intentionality, not by osmosis. We're not going to sit and just suddenly become good husbands and good fathers and good mothers and wives and children by osmosis. It's going to take some work, some effort on our part. The verse that we started our our reading with this morning was from Ephesians 5.15. And I'm going to just close with that. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Every opportunity, I think we all, we are faced with opportunities, we are faced with choices, and sometimes we make good choices, sometimes we make bad choices, and we have to suffer the consequences, or live with the consequences. And 
We have been given the tools. We have been given the, the answers in Scripture. We just need to apply them more thoroughly, I think. And Michelle is going to share with us why she is so passionate about this as well. Okay, so where I'm going to pick up is that in Paul's day, it looks like the family was under attack. And Paul was giving them some instructions. And that's not so different. Today, the family is still under attack. Um, you Obviously, you all know other families where there's, there's problems, and you don't know how to help them. So um, Glenn spoke two weeks ago, and he instructed the the older women and men, to teach the younger women and men. So Derek and I are standing up as part of those old ducks. There are many of us, but uh, we're just two of them. And we are, we are talking and instructing. And um, the other part of that was that Glenn said, the younger people in the congregation have to listen to us. So young people, are you listening we are the 18 to 25s. Who is in the 18 to 25 group? Yeah, I can't see. Stand up. Who's in the 18 to 25 group? One, two, yay. Anyone else? Thank you. <laughs> right, the 18 to 25 group. We love you. We are energized by your vitality and your your thoughts, everything. You keep us on our toes, and don't stop doing that. We also pray for you. you so you keep us on our knees as well. But that's just an old, that's an old person's talk, because, um, you know, we can't actually, some, some of us can't get onto our knees, and we can't stay there. <laughs> so that's just an old person's talk for praying. We pray for you, okay? Um, but what I want to say to you, is that you were at best parented by imperfect parents. And this is no condemnation for any parents here. We do not feel condemned. We all have to recognize that we are imperfect. We were parented by imperfect parents. And so the problems from way back are coming down through the generation. So you young people are starting out your lives um, at a bit of a deficit, okay? You might not know all the things that you should know for life. And um, if I think back to Derek, Derek and I, when we started out at your age, there was no course that taught you how to be a godly wife, a godly mother, how to be a godly father or a godly parent, how to bring up children. There was no course for that. Um, had there been one, and we did it, we would have saved our family and ourselves such a lot of pain. So I just want you to know that there is such a course, okay? It's called The Dad's Talk and The um, Divine Design for Women. It teaches you so much, and it's all biblically based. And you might not be in those stages, but you will have such a good um, foundation to start on, okay? Um, this is a journey. 
This isn't something that you do once and it's done. It's a journey. Life is a journey. And we need to be aware of a few few things. Um, There are certain needs that a child has. And quite often, those needs go unmet in the time period from 0 to 11 years. That's very early in life. And unfortunately, if you don't get those needs met, you are stuck with that for the rest of your life. And you are parenting out of that deficit. So here is a course where you can uncover those, those things that you didn't actually get. You will see it in your behaviors. And you can correct that. We can get that into a place, into a, a level standing, so that you start life with a husband and with children on a very, very good footing, a very strong footing. Um, I know there's some single moms in our community here. I won't ask you to stand up. But single moms have special challenges, okay? And they would do well coming on a course like this to actually know why are my children missing out and how do I need the community to step in and help me to parent well because that can also happen. And everyone else in the community has to actually know and be taught how can we help single moms to parent well. They, they have specific challenges, and it's so good that we um, are confronted and can know in which way we can help. Okay, the next group is 26 to 43. Where are you? 26 to 43. That's probably the biggest group. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You are in what is called the success season, Okay. Success. You are juggling careers, and some of you who are married are juggling families as well. Okay? It is a difficult season you're going through. Very difficult. Um, And you're probably thinking you are raising godly families, and you are trying to do that. But are you? How well are you doing there? I want to challenge you all. You might be sitting thinking, oh, no, I've got it all together. That is where you need to watch it. Watch out. Because as soon as you think you've got it all together, Satan comes and attacks, unfortunately. So um, what I want to put a challenge out to you today, and I want to ask you to consider doing the course to check that you have got all your bases covered. Because there are areas, things have changed, and there are areas where we need to step up and get our head in the game and make sure we know what we need to know for this time in our lives. Um, The attack on the family is relentless, and we need to keep up. We need to keep abreast of everything. Um, So what makes me passionate about this this family course is that... um, It teaches from a biblical standpoint, but it doesn't thrust um, God down people's throats who are not Christians. So what is lovely about it is if you've got a family that you know that's struggling and they want help, you can bring them safely to this course. It's completely biblically based, so you can tell them, yes, the the teaching is from a Christian background, but it is so practical 
and yet you are investing into your families from a biblical way. And whether they know that or not, they will get that teaching and they will meet Jesus. I am sure of it. That is a way to evangelize. Um, so um, what I want to do is just to ask Sharon to just come up and give a testimony on um, how she's applied one of the principles that is taught in the Divine Design for Women, just so you can see how it works out in the family life. Hi guys. <laughs> um, okay, so Yaku and I did this course. Yaku's my husband, for those who don't know, at the back over there. And we have two girls, Chloe and Maya. Um, so when we first did this course, um, it was end of 2021, beginning of 2022. And um, yeah, the topic that stood out for us was the family values, this, this topic, and um, discipline. And um, so, yeah, it started conversations. Uh, we started thinking about what, what uh, do we value as um, a family? And this um, piece, this paragraph, really was quite profound. Um, it was from the workbook that we um, got during the course. Um, we must be proactive and intentional in helping our children secure their identity in God. Our culture has opposite values to God's values. And if we do nothing our children will simply adopt the values of the prevailing culture. Values are filters for our decisions. So values influence our mind and our emotions, which influence our decisions, which determine our behavior, shape our character, and impact our destiny. So we didn't decide on all of these values um, in one sitting. Um, it was a process of over about a year, um, of just looking and thinking, what, what do we value? And somewhere during this process, Yaku started this thing with Chloe um, where he'd ask her, um, are we humans? And she said, no, we're Fosters. And um, she, <laughs> she still does this, and we laugh about it, and it's a, like an inside family joke, but something in that just reminds her and reminds us that we are different. We do things differently. We live differently to the way that the world lives. Um, okay, so the first two values that we um, settled on, we chose, were teamwork and perseverance. And so how we did this, we actually, we discussed it with Chloe as well. We involved her. She was three, three and a half at the time. And we chatted to her about it. We said, this is what we're doing. Does she think this is, you know, all these values that, all these things that are, you think would be important to us? And she was all on board. And we explained, like, what does it mean? What is teamwork? What is perseverance? Um, and then later on, we added integrity and kindness. So um, we did the same. We also spoke to her about it, chatted her, and we, we kind of did it together. Um, and so once we had done that, that then we just put this up in our lounge on the wall. So we can see it every day. It's got the four values just as a... Um, Hello? Um, as a, like a daily reminder. Um, okay, and so um, in establishing these values, it's not, it, went, it went far beyond just 
you know, putting these values up on the wall and it being, that's what it is and we've got a nice frame and everything. Um, it went beyond just influencing how we make our decisions and how we do life as a family, but it's also been pivotal in our discipline um, with Chloe. Um, yeah, since, since establishing them, we communicate them to her um, and refer to it like, on a daily basis, actually throughout the day, whenever there's an opportunity or a need, um, we, I find myself referring back to, the, back to these, these four um, values. And it's, it's really been... Oh, sorry, jumping ahead. Um, I can't remember when I first saw uh, Yaku doing this, but um, every morning, uh, every every morning before he goes to work, he makes a point of crouching down and having this chat with Chloe um, before he leaves the house. And it goes something like, um, you must have a good day to get today, my girl. Um, remember that you're a foster. So listen to mommy, listen to your teachers, be kind, um, work as a team, and have fun. And this is something, it's just something that he has um, taken on and put in place and made a habit of. Um, and it's just been so amazing to see the effect that these daily intentional moments have on Chloe. Um, she's grasped these values and they've really begun to shape her character and her behavior. Um, and it's just, just doing this is just such an amazing tool um, for us in helping her cope through various situations, like challenges and the big emotions that three or four-year-olds do have. Um, so if she, if she isn't listening or she isn't obeying mom and dad, um, it's an opportunity to remind her that we are a team, we work together, we value teamwork, um, yeah, and we help each other because we love each other. And if she feels like she can't do something, if something's too difficult, um, it's also, again, an opportunity to, be, to tell her, you know, we can do hard things. We, we persevere, um, and we can ask Jesus to help us when we feel like we can't. Um, when she says she'll do something and she doesn't stick to it, or whether she doesn't tell the truth, um, it's also an opportunity to encourage her to do what she said, to honor her commitments, um, to keep her word um, because that's what we value as a family. Um, and then when there are times when she's not being kind, it's again an opportunity to speak into that, to remind her that Jesus calls us to love one another and that by being kind, we are displaying his love. And that's the kindness. So it, it is a very challenging age, um, the three and four years old, that, that age group. Um, and I'm sure a lot of us can agree. Um, these little people are still learning how to cope and how to manage um, all of uh, their emotions but I've really just found this, um, putting these values in place, um, just so helpful in helping her to cope better and helping her understand and learn how we do things differently to how the world does. Um, and not just Chloe, I've also been um, challenged by these um, I've had to really check myself often when making decisions and how I speak and how I behave because um, she is very perceptive and she picks up on <laughs> everything. And she has told me when I'm not being kind or where I've said I'll do something. And she said, Mommy, you said you would do this and you haven't done that. I'm, oops, okay. So um, it's rather humbling, um, but it's, it's so good. Like, we need that. <laughs> um, we, uh, yeah, so I've just, and I've also seen her picking up when other children are not keeping to the values, where I have to explain, you know, that that's that you know that's for their parents to do. To do. Um, but even to the point where uh, the other day I overheard her, Maya, our six-month-old, was 
screaming a bit. I was busy in the kitchen, and um, she, she, she turned to Maya, and she said, no, Maya, please stop screaming like that. That's not one of our family values. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you, Sarah. What a, what a beautiful testimony of how it works. It actually works, you know. Changing and doing things differently to the world works. Um, there are so many testimonies of this popping up everywhere. There's another family in our community who just changed one thing. They decided to actually have a family meeting and involve their, their children, And from one family meeting, the one child's attitude and whole demeanor changed after one meeting because she suddenly felt, oh, I belong, I am important, I am loved. Amazing, amazing. You know, we didn't have things like family meetings. We didn't know about these things. (laughs) would have been so different. So um, what I just want to say is, I want to encourage you, and especially if you're starting out, 18 to 25-year-olds, come and attend a dad's talk or a divine design for women. We are having one, um, a new divine design for women. We're starting it on the 8th of August. It's a Tuesday evening. I will put an advert on the ladies' group. Don't miss it. If you can attend it, it usually runs for nine weeks, once, one evening a week. Um, and then there will be a dad's talk as well. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. <clears throat> I said earlier the proof is in the pudding. We've been eating lots of pudding, so it doesn't go well with cycling. But anyway, to follow on from what Michelle has just said, the dad's talks have been run outside of Liberty, outside from a, yeah, another organization running it. But I am just announcing that the... I'm advising the elders as well. Um, sorry for the short notice. I'm just practicing what Glenn did this week. Um, to follow on, we will be doing a dad's talk in the last quarter of, of this year. October, November, roundabouts. And I know that's a time when most men think, oh, time to wind down, getting towards the end of the year. It's not. It's time to start gearing up for your families. Um, So we're going to be running an in-house dad's talk in some form or another, not necessarily the same format. And we will be using our internal liberty resources, which means if you have done a dad's talk, you should start feeling nervous because I might be approaching you to come and participate and share in the preparation for that course and let's do it as a Liberty Family Church um, initiative and in whatever format that it takes. It doesn't have to be a predefined format. We have the liberty, uh, same word, we have the, the rights to plagiarize and copy and cut and paste as we need to and as we want to. And that I think is all that I wanted to say and I had this nagging thought in the back of my head saying, oh, you know, that thing about being a one-trick pony. I think I don't know where it comes from, but anyway. But no, we're not a one-trick pony in terms of all we talk about is the moms and dads and parents and kids and things. Um, it's really about what God does in our life. And this is just one aspect of it that makes up Liberty Family Church. And if we don't give it 
the the emphasis that it needs, then yeah, then we we falling down. So this is Aini, where is she? There. Aini, a couple of weeks ago, months ago, some time ago, you had this vision of the, the the tree with the branches and the fruits, which Math then elaborated on in his preach. And I think this is just just to reemphasize that each of us each of us sitting here is a branch, and we have some place that we are to bear fruit. Um, if Michelle and I and our family are able to, to share fruit in this, in this ministry, in this, in this part of the vineyard, that's our calling. Um, and we just want to give you the benefit of that and give you the tools to make sure that your families are, actually I can't say your, but our families, because we're still doing it with our kids, um, that we grow and apply the values and the principles that God gave us from Genesis. We just have forgotten about Okay, I'm going to hand over to Matt. Thank you, Derek, Michelle, Sharon, thank you. And I invite you to stand with me. We're going to close. I want to repeat something Derek said. Ephesians, it's this wonderful book. The first three chapters are brilliant, excellent to read. Paul's reminding you this is who you are. This is who God's made you to be. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you. He spends three chapters just double-clicking on these. Then he starts chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so, so much of 4, 5, and 6 is exactly that. This can't just be, oh, I'm I'm a Christian, and it's just between me and God, and it's just about my faith, but... Monday morning doesn't really matter. No, it does. It matters in in all these aspects of our lives. So I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the calling that you've given us through Jesus Christ, who has died for us so that we might be in right relationship with God, who's died for us so that we might have the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, who's died for us so that we might be called sons and daughters of the Most High. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we need to live out, walk in a manner worthy of this calling. God, we need your help. Please help us this week. Please help us as we cycle back to Ephesians 1, 2, 3. May we get it. May we believe you and who you've called us to be. Thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us your Holy Spirit, your very presence and power in us. Please help us to live out this calling that you've given us. Strengthen us, lead us, guide us, enable us, teach us. God, if this has been a challenging word for us this morning, would you please speak to us, minister to us, Help us to come to terms with what you are saying. We love you, Lord. We pray that we might be as worship to you. We might be proclaiming who you are by the very choices that we make this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.